So we got our series unto us out of Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. And this morning we're going to be looking at this passage and looking at the characteristic of Jesus that was prophesied, which is a wonderful counselor. And so this idea of what does it mean to be a wonderful counselor. And throughout scripture there is where Jesus talks about, where God talks about we need counselors in our life. We need wise people in our life. And matter of fact, if you read through Proverbs, that's one of the main teachings is you need wise people around you so that as you're thinking about and making decisions, you can go to people that have wisdom and get that wisdom from them to help you make good decisions. But even more than just wisdom and wise, we need godly wisdom. As a matter of fact, David in his court had wise people, and one of the wise people was Ahilophel. Y'all like that name? Ahilophel. So if you're thinking about, hey, I've got kids coming, I want to name my kids something, Ahilophel, it's there. It's, it's a unique name. It's only been used once that I know of. So no one else is probably going to name their name. So name your kid that name. So Ahilophel. Ahilophel was known as wise because whenever he would give wisdom to King David, his wisdom was so much more wise than anyone else of his counselors. And so he was known as this really wise person. In Second Samuel chapter 6, they talk about his wisdom and how it was up and above everyone else's. And so obviously wisdom is something that we want and we desire so that we can make great decisions. And here Jesus in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 is clarified, is given a characteristic, a quality of whenever he comes to serve and whatever he's on earth, he will have this characteristic of being a wonderful counselor. And one of the things I want you to grasp is sometimes we think of counselors, we think, hey, we've got problems, we've got issues, and so we go to the counselor, right? Y'all know that, y'all have heard that, you've been told that. But what I want you to hear is even when you think you've got it all together, we still need counselors, we still need people to speak truth and wisdom into our life because we have blind spots and sometimes someone can, that can sit and listen to us, they can point out some of the blind spots where we have some areas where God wants to work and to chisel. Over the last few months, we've had the opportunity to partner with Grace Abound Ministries and Carly Reese. And so Carly um, has a room here in the church where she sees uh, people from all over and uh, excited about what God's doing through that ministry and how she's been able to to do some counseling and provide wisdom for people. And so she has all the degrees, all the different stuff. But what I love about Carly is those degrees help her dig deeper into God's Word. And so that as she does counseling, all that stuff is helpful, but she drives you and takes you to God's Word and His wisdom. And um, so let's hear from Carly Reese on what she thinks, what she believes would be a wonderful counselor. When I think of wonderful counselor, I think of someone who is present in that moment with you. And um, they're listening every second of every minute in that hour. And it's all about you, the focus. And um, in that, when they're listening to those words that you say, um, they're also intentionally listening to the feelings behind those words so that they can understand who you are, what you're about, and where you're at. Um, Because without that, they can't truly help you in the way that God has called them to. And so for me, when I try to be the most wonderful counselor I can be, I want to make sure that I'm not just giving people advice, right? Because it's not about me and what I think. Um, but then I'm giving them wisdom that is aligned with scripture and God's standards. And if they don't have God's standards because they don't know him, then I start there with um, helping them get to know him. 
because that's the most important thing any counselor can give anyone. Um, and truly, if they don't have the Lord, then how could they ever resolve anything in life? Because the reality is, is there's pain in this world for Christians, for non-Christians. And so trying to help someone that doesn't have hope or joy, um, to me, is implausible, really. Um, and so when I stay present with them, I give them, I think, what Christ gives me. Because when I spend time with him and he's guiding me, like I try to guide people, then I get a better understanding of who he is. And so I want to understand who they are so that I can help them be who God wants them to be, not who I think they should be or who their family thinks they should be. Um, and so those are really my aims, is to stay present, to understand who they are, and then to help them be who God wants them to be. To be present. How many of us long for someone to sit across from us and to literally be present? In an age of busyness and cell phones and technology, even we've had this discussion in our household, is there's those moments where it kind of gets quiet for a moment and slows down, and the next thing you know, we all look up and we're on our phones and we're not present with one another. And so what does it mean for us to be present? And one of the characteristics of a wonderful counselor and a great friend is for them to take time to slow down in the busyness and to be present and to hear and to listen so that they can give you counsel. Or if nothing else, not even give you counsel, but the greatest counsel sometimes is just to listen. And so a great friend does that. So this morning, if you will, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and read this verse with me. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Again, this is a prophecy that the prophet Isaiah said about the baby Jesus. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. A couple of things I want you to get about the characteristics of a wonderful counselor, that the wonderful counselor that we have in the person of Jesus Christ. The first truth, the first principle that I want you to grasp is that we have a wonderful counselor that understands our struggles, that understands your situation. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 1, verse 14, we see that God came in the flesh and dwelt among us. In other words, he walked in the same places that we walked. He sat down at the same cafes that we sit down at. He went to the same schools that we went to. And so God in the flesh came and he walked among us. That's an important truth. The, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. He came, God himself came and lived among us in the flesh. So what does that mean? We find out what that means in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, where we get a, a grasp of, hey, we have a counselor that understands our struggles and situations in Hebrews 4, chapter 15 and 16. Hebrews 4, it says this, For we do not have a high priest, who is Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Now, this idea of sympathize is to literally get into our shoes, to, to put himself in our shoes or into our, literally, our bodies and to walk with us so that we have a high priest in the person of Jesus that understands our situation in such a way, understands our struggles in such a way that he's walked the very shoes that we've walked. He's walked in the same things that we've walked through. And he understands that, hey, if you sense that you're drowning, if you sense that the world is crashing around you, that he has felt those same things. He's experienced the same stuff. 
so that as a wonderful counselor, he understands and he sympathizes with us because he's seen it, he's walked it, he's experienced it. God has experienced exactly the same things that you've experienced. So he sympathizes with your weakness. How many of you have weaknesses? Don't raise your hand. Okay? Because next you're going to have to shout out what your weaknesses are. No, I'm just kidding. Each of us have weaknesses. Here's the other part of this. But in every way, he's been tempted just like us. So he knows that we have weaknesses because he's experienced those in his 100% God and 100% humanity. He experienced what it meant to be human. Okay? So as a part of that means that he also, in experiencing humanity, is he experienced what it was like to be tempted. Now, each one of us in this room are tempted in certain ways. Each one of us are created uniquely, and each one of us have certain things that we are tempted by. So, you know, you got this person over here, and they're tempted by this, and this person over here is tempted by this. The deal is, all of us are tempted in unique ways, but the symptom is, is that we are human, and we desire what we want when we want it. So, Jesus has experienced that in his humanity. There have been moments when he was walking the earth that he saw something and that he was tempted by it. As a matter of fact, the very beginning of his ministry, Satan himself, the devil, presented temptations that were unique to Jesus and to Jesus alone. And so he's experienced what it's like to be tempted. Now, sometimes we struggle with that idea that we think, hey, I've become a Christian, and at some point in my walk and in my faith that I get mature enough to not be tempted. That is an untruth or a lie that we believe, okay? All of us, for all of our lives, will be tempted by something. Now, as we grow and mature in our faith, we sh- there should be some things that slough off. There should be some things that pass away that we're no longer tempted by. But because we're human, there's always new opportunities to sin. There's always new opportunities to trip up. All right, so that's the truth, that as I grow and mature, there's always going to be new opportunities to mess up, but God is walking with us through these temptations, walking through these things with us in life. So all of us are going to be tempted. So in every way, Jesus has experienced what we've experienced, and he sympathizes with us. That's the beauty of it. Now, the other part of that, if you look at that verse, there's a comma, okay? So he was tempted in every way that we're tempted, comma, yet... He did not sin. Now, that's the part that we want in our own lives, is that we want to be tempted and to deal with the temptation in the right way. And this is where good friendship comes in. This is where wisdom comes in, that we can call those 2 a.m. friends and say, I'm being tempted in this way. And they can say, hey, listen, and you can struggle through that. And then what our hope is, is that we can have the comma and yet not sin. That's us growing in our faith is that we have people around us that we get to that place where those things that were once tempting and appealing to us, we can say, hey, listen, I don't need this. This is not appealing to me. I've tasted and I've seen it. It doesn't bring satisfaction. As a matter of fact, it brings everything but satisfaction. And so I have the comma in my life, yet without sin. Because so many times we are tempted and we sin. Okay, only in my world, all right? So we're tempted and then we sin. Now, when that sin happens, naturally, most of us then think that we're dirty, we're shameful. And so because God is holy, we begin to run away from God or think God does not want to be in relationship with us. God doesn't want us anywhere around him. So look at the next part of this, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. It says, yet without sin. And then verse 16, therefore, because who Jesus is, 
Let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In other words, in those moments when we fail, because they're going to come when we're tempted and we don't have the comma yet without sin, our natural bent is to move away from God. But what Hebrews tells us is what we should do in that moment is recognize that we have a wonderful counselor who has come unto us and he sympathizes with us and understands the temptations and understands what we walk through. Therefore, he's on the throne and he's with open arms saying, come to me. I am ready to receive you and understand exactly what you're. And so that hopefully next time when you're tempted, you can have the comma yet without sin. That that's the friendship, that's the boldness that we can, even in our mess-ups, we can still go to the throne and the God the Father, God the Son is there to receive us and to bring us in. He's not pushing us away, but actually anticipating and waiting for us to come to him. We have a wonderful counselor who can sympathize with us and understand our struggles. The, the other thing that I want you to grasp that a wonderful counselor provides for us is that he cares for us. The wonderful counselor cares for us. In First Peter chapter 5, verse 7, it says, Cast your cares upon him. Literally, give your cares to him. That, that he intimately cares about you. That he knows the desires. He knows the struggles. He knows the worries. He knows the concern. He knows the things that you're struggling with. But so many times we feel like that we're strong enough to carry the burdens. We're strong enough to carry the worries. We're, so, we're strong enough to carry about the different things. And that our stuff is too insignificant to cast before God. Because God has bigger things to worry about than what I've got. And again, that's a lie. That's an untruth. God intimately cares about every single one of you and desires for you to place your cares and your worries and your concerns and your doubts and your fears before him. That is what he's there for. He is God and you are not. In those moments when we don't cast cares before him, we're saying, I am God, or I'm trying to be like God, and I'm sufficient enough, and saying, God, you, you don't have to worry about me today. I've got it. So he says, cast your cares upon me, because I care for you. So let's take a little moment. And many of you came in today, and you had stuff on your mind, stuff on your heart. Some of you were thinking about, hey, I've got a Christmas list, and the list is longer than my money. Okay, my kids, my grandkids, all the aunt, nieces, nephews, all that, I got all this stuff and I can't do it. Some of you are thinking, hey, I've got all this debt now, how am I going to add more debt to it? Right? I'm still trying to pay off three Christmases ago, how am I going to be able to get this? And so all of us have different things. I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job. I'm afraid of a relationship. All the different stuff that you came in today with, those are cares and concerns and worries. Am I right? All right, are we awake? Do we need a coffee shot? All right. Yes, all of us came into this place with something that you're worried about or consumes us just a little bit. So what I want you to do in front of you, or he came with you, you have your notes, or you have a little something in the pew in front of you, take the pen or whatever, just a little, a little exercise, right? You're doing some homework right here. Pull out that stuff, take out that pen, write down what is it that's consuming you? What is it that you're concerned about? What is it that you're care, caring about? What is it that you're fearful of? What is it that you're... All this different stuff that you've got that you need to cast before the one who cares. First Peter 5, 7. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. As you do that, listen to this verse. Matthew chapter 6, verse 26. Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns. 
Let your heavenly Father, let yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Listen, of all creation, you are the most valuable thing that God has created because you have a soul and you have the ability to have a relationship with Him. And that with the things of life that weigh us down, He came to give us a yoke that is light, a yoke that is easy, a burden that is easy, to cast our cares, to cast our concerns upon Him, and to not play God in our life, but to allow Him to be God. A wonderful counselor understands your struggles and your situation. A wonderful counselor cares intimately about the details of your life. As Carly said, there's a presence that the sitting and listening and hearing that we need. And then finally, I want you to understand that a wonderful counselor wants to do life with you. A wonderful counselor doesn't just set up as Jesus. He doesn't just set up one appointment and you come and you talk about your stuff and then they stamp your card and say, hey, you're good to go, or even set up a couple appointments and you work through your problems. Jesus, as a wonderful counselor, has a lifelong journey with us. As I think about that wonderful counselor and a lifelong journey, I'm reminded of the story of Peter. That in John chapter 18, here was Peter, this guy who hung out with Jesus and had an extra special relationship as a disciple of Jesus, but even a, even a little bit more closer relationship with Jesus. And so as things become, get to the end of Jesus' life and ministry, Peter and the disciples were sitting down, and Jesus says, listen, this is about to all go down. Everything's about to break loose, and it's about to get chaotic. And in the midst of the chaos, most of you are going to run away and hide. That you've said you're my friend, that you've said that you're my disciple, you've said that you'll do whatever for me, but in the chaos and in the struggle of this, most of you are going to leave. Now, Peter, being who Peter was, he was the brash guy, stood up and said, not me. Jesus, not me. Of all these other fools, they're going to leave, but not me. I got it. I'm strong. I've got this whole thing. He's the one that cut off the ear in the garden just a little bit before. He's like, hey, listen, I have got this. And then the chaos sits. And in the midst of the chaos, one disciple, another disciple, another disciple. And then we get a, a picture of Peter in John chapter 18, and Peter has three instances. In the midst of this, Jesus told Peter, hey, you're going you're gonna to fail, Peter, and you're going to fail not just once, not just twice, but you're going to fail three times. Peter said, no way. John chapter 18, we see the story of Peter as the chaos breaks out. Peter's there, and people come up, and they say, hey, aren't you a friend of Jesus? Nope. Never seen him turns and walks off and goes to another situation. And again, there's people around and people say, hey, hey, aren't you a friend of Jesus? No, I'm not a friend of Jesus. Don't know him. Comes around and then here comes a little girl. And God has a sense of humor. And a little girl comes up to Peter and says, aren't you a friend of Jesus? And big, strong Peter who said, I will never deny my Jesus, my friend, said, I don't know him. I've never seen him. Never heard of them. And immediately a rooster crows and he remembers what Jesus had said and he runs away in embarrassment and shame thinking, all that I have, all that this has been about has now been lost. And then I look at John chapter 21 and here's Jesus has died, he's been buried and he's resurrected and he's having a mo- some moments where he's been seen and one of the last scenes in his life, it's Jesus and his disciples and it appears that they're on a beach and they're having some fish or whatever. And I, with my mind, I imagine Peter and a couple of disciples around and they're frying up some fish. And 
the other guys are over there throwing frisbees or throwing a football or something, and things are going on. And so there's a little bit of moment that Peter and Jesus have together. And Jesus says to Peter, hey, hey, Peter, do you love me? And that word love is, is agape in that moment. And that's that, hey, do you sacrificially love me? Do you have a, a God love for me? And Peter's like, yeah, I, you know I do, Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, feed, feed my sheep. Peter's like, got it. You know, and this thing keeps going on. And probably a few minutes later, Jesus, in the moment, still quiet moment, says, hey, Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, yeah, I told you. I loved you just a few minutes ago. And again, he uses that word agape. And he's like, yes, I, I, I love you. I, I, I care deeply for you. And Jesus says, we'll be the shepherd then to my sheep. And then a few minutes later, Jesus asks him one more time, hey, Peter, do you phileo me? Are you a friend of mine? Peter, are you even a friend of mine? And I think in that moment, I think Peter was taken back to when that little girl asked, hey, are you a friend of Jesus? He said, no, and ran. That Jesus in that moment restored Peter back to usefulness, restored Peter back to that relationship that took away the shame, that took away the regret, that took away all of what Peter was dealing with and struggling with that so many times we struggle with is that we have pronounced, I don't know him, I'm not a friend of him because we've fallen to temptation and so we step away. And the wonderful counselor wants to do life with us and there's time after time after time that he has to sit with us and say to us, Chris, do you love me? Chris, are you a friend of mine? Do you, do you really have a friendship with me and restore me back and restores back. A wonderful counselor, he hasn't just set an appointment with us. He wants to do life with us. And he knows that there's going to be time after time after time that when temptation comes, we so desire in our heart of hearts to say, yes, you and you only, Jesus. But that so many times that there's not that comma yet without sin, but so many times it says, and he did it again. And then Jesus comes and he sits next to us and says, do you love me? Do you love me? Are you a friend of mine? Then let's get up and let's go. That's a wonderful counselor that sits with us and hears us and listens and knows what we've been through and cares enough for us to cast Listen and let us cast our cares upon him, the most intimate details of our life, and doesn't judge us but walks with us and says to us, listen, there's going to be moments when you fail and you fail big, but do you love me? Do you love me? Are you a friend of mine? If so, let's go. My challenge for us this morning is do you have that faith relationship with Jesus? Are you a friend of Jesus? Maybe you're at a place where you've failed miserably, you've messed up, and you're like, listen, I need a counselor. We have Carly. You've met Carly. She's wonderful. She's awesome. She's great. Maybe your life is, you think, man, it is too messed up. It's not too messed up. Carly's not the answer. Carly's going to drive you to the answer. When you come to my office and you say, Pastor, fix me, I don't fix you. Jesus does. We drive you to and we move you to the greatest 
gift of all, the greatest wisdom of all, the greatest truth of all is the person of Jesus Christ and what he can do for you so that you can experience life without the shame, pain, and regret and to know that you are and experience the fullness of what it means to be a friend of God. May you, during this season, may you stop and reflect. What are the things that you're worried about? What are the things that concern you, that overwhelm you, and realize that God is God and he's big enough and he's provided the wonderful counsel? Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the most wonderful counselor. You give the greatest of wisdom, the greatest of truths, That, Father, even in our darkest, deepest times, you sit with us and you listen. And as your children, you guide us back and you restore us and move us forward to what you have for us, to the dreams that we have with you and for you. Lord, may you be honored. May we listen and may we cast our cares upon the most wonderful counselor. It's in your son's name that we pray.